Welcome to the Better Business Podcast, a series for those business owner operators who want to create a better business. Here are your hosts, Chris and Mark. Hello and welcome to the Better Business Podcast with Chris Pesmenti here and Mark Eggleston up in our Sydney studio as per last podcast. Uh, how are you, Mark? You on the line there? I am on the line, Chris, and pretty good. Yeah, not, not as hot and sweltering this time? Worse. Worse, yeah. It's been a hot hot kind of summer, hasn't it? It's been a stinker, actually. It's been a real stinker. Oh, well, I was going to go to the country recently, and it was 44 where I was going, so I decided not to bother. There'd be people in parts of the world that just cannot fathom the, the uh, summer temperatures that we just put up with regularly, can that, would they? No, they can't. And mind you, people in Western Australia think we're complete losses. I know. They get it every day for about nine months of the year. I've got something for I've got something for you here. Uh-huh. I picked up a book and it arrived in the mail yesterday. And it'll be right up your alley, actually. It's, it's called... I'll, I'll read the uh, one paragraph on the back of the blurb for you. And I think it's probably something we could do on this podcast is that if we come across any really good books that we've read lately or things that come, come our way that we think people might be interested in, um, maybe we should give them a bit of a plug. This one's called Uncommon Sense, Common Nonsense. Okay? And on the back blurb it says, it attacks the common sense, sorry, it attacks the common nonsense behind so much managerial behaviour today, particularly the tired and cynical assumptions that underpin organisational routines, rituals and discussions. For managers who want their organisations to be as successful as they could be, this book is a beacon of uncommon sense and a timely antidote to managerial humbug. And I thought, geez, that appeals to me, and, and <laughs> no, it would appeal to you. I love it already. What, else, what also appealed to me was this. When I opened up the contents page, like there's part one, part two, three, four, and five of this book, all broken down to mini chapters of no more than two or three pages. That reminds me of two things, Chris. One is a game that I've played when we're doing a conference or we're doing a vision workshop, and it's called Bullshit Bingo. Yeah. And it's about people, and it's about finding people who use management gobbledygook. And the other one is, our book I'm reading is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... Fig. Space. A fig. Yeah, a fig. A fig. And uh, it's not so much about... Um, business, but it's about thinking counter-logically a little yeah. bit. Well, I'm only just into it. It's by Mark Manson. Yep. I'm quite well known. But we'll have a chat about that too. Yeah, I've seen that in the airport, in the airport bookshops. It seems to be ranking rather highly in the sales. Yeah. And it probably... Mind you... Go on. I'm up, to, I'm up to page 80, and I could take a scalpel to at least 30 of those 80 pages, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Some people say we take a scalpel to much of this podcast. Where do we take today's discussion? Where we take today's discussion, I think, is I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about when I get asked about what I do, they quite often say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a business coach. And their next comment, almost always, is, so you're a consultant. Mm. And I stop them right there. So I'm wondering what your take on what are all the various forms a client could engage someone and on what the difference between them is. Okay, yep. Um, and and just to start, because I think sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, okay. Um, I think then, then we need to get on to what business coaching is all about, how it works, and what clients can expect from it. 
Okay, fair enough. And and as people might be able to uh, gather by these um, these recordings, is that you and I don't necessarily sit down and plan our podcast out to a to the nth degree. Um, we're more we're more like ringing each other up with a topic in mind and we have a conversation. And I think that that's I guess a bit more of a natural way for us to um, throw some ideas back and forth. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's more real if we okay. keep it that way. So in answer to your first question, you, you, you say you're a coach of business and people say, so you're a consultant, and you pull them up rather hastily with perhaps a, uh, a lamb chop to the forehead and, um, and say, no, I'm not a consultant, I'm a coach. And they'll probably then follow up with, well, what's the difference? That's exactly what happens. Yep. Only it's a drumstick to the forehead, not a lamb right. chop. Just a drumstick. Well, I wouldn't go wasting drumsticks. Um, so here's the, the easiest way that I, I like to break this down and say that a coach, uh, well, let's start with a consultant. When you get your, um, something goes wrong with your electricity in your house, there's a, there's, a, there's a power outage somewhere or a fault or whatever it is. You ring up an electrician and an electrician will come and fix that problem. How much knowledge transfer is there of how that problem got fixed? Well, in my case, I'd, hope, I'd say hopefully none. Yeah, hopefully none because they don't work that way. They come out, they diagnose, they fix, pack up, give you an, an invoice that you probably pay on the spot, and then they leave to the next job. And that's essentially what a consultant does. A consultant will, will diagnose and fix and essentially warrant their own work. So the way that consultants work in organisations is... Uh, if you have a managerial consultant or a HR consultant or a marketing consultant or a sales consultant, they tend to come in and fix a process or develop a process. Uh, but either way, it's generally with within uh, their own IP, their own uh, way about uh, going about doing it, and they will be paid for the result with little knowledge transfer that goes between them and the organisation. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a nice description. Of course, if you're a little bit cynical, someone once said to me, a consultant is someone that comes into your business, asks you for your watch, tells you the time, and then asks for a check. (laughs) (laughs) And and they have their place because sometimes in organisations and in the fast pace of business, we don't have the time to go through a a learning process every time. And, And I guess... One of the um, best exponents of the consultancy practice these days and, and some of the clients that I work with are, are IT um, or technology company, whereby it's very much a, a dark art for most of us. Uh, they have the, the skills, the techniques, the, um, the, the wherewithal and the know-how on how to actually get uh, solve a problem or develop a solution with, with tools that we have no idea on how to use. So there's actually no point for them to sit down and, and then take people through all the understanding of what they've done, how they've done it, and how you can do it yourself next time. Um, I don't so, know if you've uh, yeah, ever worked in a business, but I was working in a business where you would have, I would invariably find that I went into that business, the owner of that business, I'd seen styles of his shoes sticking out from under a desk. <laughs> and I, when he finished that, I'd say, what are you doing? And he'd be doing the IT. And, of course, the obvious question is, why the hell are you doing that? And why are you interested in doing that? And seriously, just get someone to do it. It's not a good use of your time. There are a lot of owners that, that go and do that. So that's the consultant. And I think you're absolutely right. When time is critical, why would you bother? Just get it fixed. Move yeah, on. just get it fixed. 
your electricity, your plumbing, your IT, uh, your processes, things that you don't need to bother with. Uh, the coach, on the other hand, is someone who is um, geared towards knowledge transfer, um, who who is uh, trying to get the subject uh, to change their behaviour, as we discussed last week. And I always remember that there was there was a great quote that I that I've always had in the back of my mind, and it was along the lines of that coaching deals with the how. Okay, how you can move uh, from where you are and make change. And it's about being oriented towards actions and, um, and concerned with the present and the future and not the past. So it's about moving people in a direction that's, that's uses today as, as, the, as the earliest point in time and moves people towards a, something that they want to achieve in the future. And as we discussed last time, Coaching is about behavioural change. It's about getting a result and dealing with how you actually move from one place to the other. How often have you been sitting in front of a client regarding knowledge transfer and moving people forward and you know that they've been mulling over this problem, whatever the problem is, for a long time and you start asking them questions, which is an integral and a really pivotal part of the coaching process and you're asking away and you're asking away and you get to a question and all of a sudden you see this look on their face like a massive light bulb's just gone off, and you know, and then they know that they just have the answer at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the best feeling that you can get as a coach. And I mean, I coach kids in soccer. I coach my son's soccer team, and it, I had this wonderful experience a couple of years back where we were, <laughs> we were working on a, very, a, a particular skill, uh, which was around the shooting for goal skill, and one of the guys in the team, one of the young young kids in the team, girls and boys both in the same team, and it's really interesting seeing how, how the different sexes at that age actually take on instruction and all that sort of stuff, but that's besides the point. We're working on a particular skill which was about shooting low and into the corners to make it as hard for goalie as possible for goalies to save the, uh, to save the shots on goal. And one, one particular kid in the team loved... Uh, aiming for the for the top corners because it's it's of course more spectacular and they see the heroes do it on TV um, and I was trying to get it through to them that it's a low percentage um, a low percentage play tend to be kicking the ball at the height that makes it easy for goalkeepers to make a save they don't have to get down onto the ground or dive into the bottom corners so as we went got into the game this young young fella in my team he he, he had he found himself in, with an opportunity for three shots on goal, you know, in a quite a short period of time. And I just remember it was one of those situations where, you know those situations when you're talking and there's a lot of noise around, but just at that time, all that noise seems to stop and what, whatever you're saying or whatever someone else is saying to you, it's almost like it gets heard by everyone. Uh, this young fella had three attempts on goal in a row. All three attempts were aimed into the top right-hand corner and all three attempts were comfortably palmed away by the goalkeeper. And as he as he was running back into the middle, I thought I can go really instructive on this. I can I can get quite frustrated with this, or I can just bring some awareness to the situation. And so I said, uh, his name was Alexander, and I said, "Hey, Alexander," and I was trying to be as discreet as I could. Um, but as I said, everything seemed to stop, and everyone seemed to hear. I said, "Alexander, we've tried it your way three times. How about we try it my way on the next one?" And and as he was running back, this, this look on his face with this real grin came up and he looked across at me and he sort of gave me almost a, a little wink. It was almost like the penny dropped 
at that moment for him. And, and I still think about it as, as one of those little coaching moments, whether it was in business or sport or, or, or any scenario, where that moment that you were describing, just it, it happened so beautifully because it wasn't until he had the experience of doing it um, a certain way that it, it actually created the awareness for what I was actually trying to get across to him. Mm, really nice uh, story, and I'm really impressed how you got a sporting analogy into this podcast so early. Yes, and so here's another one for you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but sometimes in coaching too, um, where it's a transfer of knowledge or it's where your client learns themselves. Well, it's two-way. It's what you mentioned before. It's yeah, questioning it, and, and it's discussing and conversational. Do you also think, just as we do that thing about Alexander, that sometimes your clients need to get it wrong a couple of times too? Yeah, and, and it's completely okay. Um, uh, one of the things I always hold is that the answers are, are always in the room. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get the application right all the time because, there's, as you would know, there's a big, often a big gap or at least a lag between awareness and application. Yeah, uh, we, we can all become aware of things. We can become aware of things that we need to do, um, whether we put them into practice. Sometimes um, is reliant on our experiences of of doing it the old way and potentially not getting the result that we've, we've described to our coach that we want to actually get. Yeah. I had occasion to meet um, kind of the father of venture capitalism in Australia a while ago. Yep. Really interesting human being. Um, not a coach by any stretch of imagination. But he did say that when he gets into venture giving people money for the business, he really prefers to do it with people that have flamed out a few times. Mm. And I think that goes to it's okay, particularly when you're coaching a client. They might get it wrong a couple of times, but when they get it right, boy, they get it right. We've talked about a consultant comes around and tells you what to do and then fixes it. Uh, a coach's knowledge transfer or bringing out the best in you, the client. Are there any other forms? I've got two in my mind. I'm wondering if you have the same two I do. Well, well, there are trainers who, who you know, training is uh, realistically, it, it's to address a skill deficiency. So it's usually a, a transfer of knowledge, which is a, a one-way um, presentation, if you like, about addressing a particular skill deficiency. So you can get trained on how to use um, a software package or you get trained on how to uh, do a certain... Um, process or how to use a certain piece of machinery, a trainer will take you through step-by-step uh, step on how to actually achieve that skill. Um, that's one. Um, and then there's the one that I, I think gets, gets thrown in with coaching quite a lot, which is the mentor. Yeah, I find that um, I've had that happen to me a number of occasions where if they don't say you're a consultant, the next thing they say, say you're a mentor. What's your, I guess, your explanation around mentoring? Well, I had a great analogy someone gave to me about this, that if you want to climb a mountain, a coach doesn't have to climb the mountain, but they'll help you prepare everything, they'll help you get ready, and they'll discuss all the problems, and they'll, they'll be right behind you morally and mentally and all those things when you decide to climb the mountain. A mentor has climbed the mountain. Yeah. So they're, so they're speaking they're, from experience. Yeah, they've walked in the shoes you want to walk in, basically. Yeah. Yeah, which is why you, what you tend to find is, and I know that we've been down that path before as well, is that you'll often find the lines blurred between mentoring and coaching because quite often coaches uh, have either come out of their own business 
practices or uh, corporate departments um, out of larger organisations or various walks of life where they do have a number of experiences that get melded into the coaching process. Yes, I think um, I, I think there's some research around this that mentors, if you if you can coach, you can uh, you can be a really powerful mentor as well. It enhances the mentoring process. The other one I've come across too, uh, and I'm pretty sure you have, is the facilitator. Yeah. Uh, and I think, think the simple definition of that is to, in the room of people, is to get group consensus. It's quite close to coaching. Oh, and I can use coaching methodology with it, but yeah. it's different to coaching. Can I add something just to facilitator too? The way I also view the, uh, the facilitator uh, role is actually to bring a process for 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 a, a result to be achieved. So if you're facilitating uh, a strategic offsite, which is something um, that I get asked to do a fair bit, then it's actually bringing a, a framework or a process for a group of people generally uh, to to achieve a certain result on the day. So you don't have to actually coach the room, you don't have to train the room, you don't have to. Um, really even input a lot of um, intellectual property other than the fact that you, you bring a process to the room. That's, I think you're exactly right. If you don't bring a process to the room in facilitation, you're just blue skying. Yeah, and exactly. You'd be very lucky to get a result in that event. Yes. Um, one thing that I, you did make me conscious of when you were talking about um, coaching versus being a consultant is that I don't know if you've found this, but in your experience, for instance, as an HR person in your previous life, there would be times where you would be coaching away and then you then you probably have a moment of complete clarity and you may say to your client, look, I'm taking my coaching hat off now and I'm putting on my consultant hat. And if, I think if you do that, you're a complete goose. So it's, it is really telling your client something. Um, I think, I don't know your experience there, my experience is it works okay, you've just really got to be clear with your client in that moment that you're not coaching anymore, you are in fact telling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I'll give you an example. I, I used to work with a coach um, quite often and we would, we would, I would pick up on uh, her frustration with the client and that frustration would be, and, and I, I kind of always thought I knew what it was about and so what I was finding was that there was this overtone of frustration when we were sitting with the client on behalf of the coach, not the client. And when we had a chance to break or at the end of one of the days, I, I you know, in a little bit of a debrief scenario, I said to her, I can't help but feel that I'm picking up a lot of frustration with you in this particular client. Um, wh where's it coming from? And what their explanation was was that the pace of the client of the change in the client and them being frustrated because they the the coach knew the knew where that client needed to get to or knew how to actually um, progress the scenario for the client. But what she was doing was getting frustrated between her agenda and the client's agenda, the client's pace of change, the client's comfort zone, the client's comfortableness, I guess, with change and and potentially missing a little bit of the mark around trying to get them to change too many things too quickly rather than getting into the habit of change. And I think that it goes a little bit of what you're saying is that the minute that we get out of that situation where we're coaching and we start either letting our personal frustrations or our uh, processing modes or the way that we would actually handle a problem get in the way of what we're doing for the client, then 
the temptation is actually to jump in there and then give them an answer or to jump in there and then say, how about you just do it this way? And all of a sudden, it, it, it takes the relationship away. I think you've hit on a really, really crucial point about coaching. This is one of the knockout events of coaching, I think. And it's a little, it's a little uh, saying that is, if you're, if you're a swimming coach and you're in the pool with the swimmers, you're no use to them. You're really only yeah. useful to coach when you're on the edge of the pool. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, go on. And the other thing is, in coaching, and this is something for clients to consider is, Clients will always give you an indicator at the pace they want to be coached at. And you can take them a little bit, I think you can take them a tiny bit beyond that. You take them too far beyond that, they won't enjoy being coached. And they won't get the result. And, and that's they won't the, get the that, result. No, and, that, and that's the, the important thing here is that um, if you imagine your, your clients have these, you know, circles within circles within circles, and in the very centre of the circle is a comfort zone, what they're, what they're comfortable with. Um, is you have to understand that if you're, if you're asking clients or, or prodding them or guiding them or, or just even uh, provoking uh, a reaction that, that they believe that the, what you're trying to get across is that the answer is too far removed from what they're comfortable with, then you're only going to get pushback. Or, or you yeah. might get some reckless, reckless kind of um, implementation. Hmm. And uh, you just made me think of something else that quite often um, when you're coaching a client uh, and you'll, you'll get a realisation, you'll agree on the plan of action, you'll go away and you come back next time. And they may not have implemented it, what you agreed on between when you were there last time and when you're there now. Mm-hmm. And if that question you need to ask them is, do you still think this is a good idea? Because sometimes they've thought about it and they think, no, it's not a good idea, I don't want to do that. I've had a different idea, or, or it's sparking me something else, but I haven't now changed my mind, which I think is perfectly okay. Yeah, as, as long as it, as long as you can see that it's going to get them to the result that they need. Yeah. Interesting your your analogy around being in the pool with the swimmers, because um, leading up to and and that was a sporting analogy on your behalf, but oh, leading up to yeah, I know, and and leading up to see, I, t- I told you you would uh, you know start to learn a few things by talking to me more often. You, you start to use sporting analogies. But this yeah, is well, Australia. Just be, just be careful because you're going to get a couple of cooking analogies shortly. Hey, I'm Italian, mate. You, 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 I'll do cooking analogies all day long. In relation to the, the swimmers in the pool, leading up to coaching the kids in the soccer. One of the things that the club insisted upon was that we all, all the junior coaches undertake the Football Federation Australia coaching course. And what was really interesting was, and, and the coaches that ran that course were absolutely bloody brilliant. One, one of the things they were absolutely steadfast on, and to the point of being, br- in a way, quite brutal with, with the attendees of this course, was that they were asking questions of, of the, um, you know, a lot of the parent coaches in the room and, and the aspiring younger coaches getting their accreditations. They said, how many of you guys um, end up in the drills with your team? So, you know, when you're getting the team to do some certain exercises or skill drills, how many of the coaches are inserting themselves into some of those drills? And, and it was funny because nearly every hand went up in the room. And, and they, they basically said, why? You are doing nothing for the kids that you're coaching by you being in the middle of their drill. And it was and it was just it was just black and white. Don't do it. Get off the field. Let the players play. Coaches coach. Lovely analogy. Lovely, lovely analogy. 
mind you, as coaches, and I, I'd be interested in those things. I think you every now and then I find myself in the pool with the swimmers. Well, and, and that might be what you're talking about before about that that tendency to to want to get into into a little bit of a consulting mode. It is, but what the critical thing I think is be aware that you're doing it and get out. As long as you can get out of the pool and say, "Hey, actually, let, let, let's let's redraw our, our lines here and, and and let's get back to what this relationship's about." Yeah, perfect, perfect. There's a couple of other things I've got lying around in my mind now too. Is um, in terms of coaching, Chris, mm-hmm. and this has happened to me. It'd be very interesting to know if it's happened to you. Sometimes I've got in front of a new client, and I just have these alarm bells going off all over the place, and I'm thinking, I just I'm not sure that I can coach you. Yep. As in fit. Yes. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't even happen half the time. Have you experienced that? And do you have a view on the client coach fit? Yep. And there's there's two things there. If it doesn't feel right, don't don't enter into into the arrangement. And I would um, have a cohort or at least other coaches or other experts or, or people that you know that that could be the right fit. Um, because there's, there's absolutely no point in taking on a brief that you know you're not, you are not the right fit for or the person is not the right fit for your style. Um, and that's, that's happened to me in the past and, and having been part of a, a much larger cohort and, um, and then a smaller cohort now, I always feel like I've got the right person at my disposal if, if I come across someone that, that's just not, um, attuned to the way that I work. Um, and the other part is, Around <laughs> around people that are uncoachable, I guess. Um, that, that, oh, I'm so glad you're going there. I'm yeah, that was my next point. But yeah, I, and and it's not knock yourself out on that one. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> how about I give you a little bit of a story? There was there was a person, and and this is not to say that this person was uncoachable. It was just that I think I was retained under a false agenda, if you like. Um, the expectations. Yeah, around around why we were going through what we were going through. I was brought on by a client, and I won't say the business, and I won't say who they are because they'd be pretty easily identifiable. However, it was a, a quite a, a decent size uh, private practice uh, with a partnership of eight, and there was one particularly uh, motivated partner to have go get the get the broader. Um, partnership coached through a strategic change process and it got to the point where like some really things that I was unused to were happening where I'd be getting these, um, you, you might be running a session with, with uh, some of the partners on the strategy or running a session with the broader staff on, on particular implementation things about what's going to change and, and how, how we could do it and, and, and what we need uh, people to, to be aware of and, and so on and so forth. And then I get these really long-winded debriefing phone calls late at night asking for this, asking for that, asking for uh, Gantt charts prepared in a very specific way around how we're going to, you know, manage the change process. And and it was it was quite incongruous with, with the stuff that we were, were talking about. And all of a sudden, it seemed like, you know, what whatever hours we were spending in front of people um, in, in that coaching capacity... We're spending twice as many hours behind the computer documenting, um, writing things up, fulfilling all these um, templates and all this sort of stuff. And the penny started dropping uh, for me where 
where I, I was on the, I was getting quite exasperated with this whole process because it just seemed like we were wasting so much time on, on all this other extraneous stuff um, than actually getting the, the people to do what, what we need them to do. And I, I just asked the question of, of this person, of this sort of managing partner, and said, "You don't happen to be you're not you don't happen to be studying for an MBA at the moment, do you?" And this big grin came across his face, and he said, "Why do you ask?" And I said, "I get a sense that I'm completing your assignment." It was it was almost like this quite broad smile came across this person's face. And he kind of said, and, and so what if you are? And, I, and all this extraneous work was simply an economic transaction for this person to say it was, it was cheaper to get someone in here to, to implement a change management program and complete an assignment for this guy um, other than, than him doing it himself. And I just said, look, that's not why I've been brought on. That's not what I do. And to me, it was, it was quite a... It wasn't heated after that, but it was very pointed. It was basically saying, this is where it ends. Um, if you want someone to, you know, complete your assignment, you you either do it yourself or get someone else to do it. But just let them know that that's what you're getting them to do, because it wasn't fair on his partners, it wasn't fair no, on, on the people in the business, probably, and, uh, and it wasn't fair on me. Vaguely. No, it wasn't fair on you, and it's probably vaguely dishonest at that stage too, because it's really not what that you've fallen into consulting. Yeah, so just one thing there. Um, yes, I've, it's really interesting you say that because, as you know. I am to Excel spreadsheets what Rudolf Nureyev was to Scott Welding. <laughs> how, how, how dare you make past judgment on Rudolf Spot Welding? <laughs> anyway, I got asked by these two women to do something. It was really all about the Excel spreadsheet. It wasn't about coaching a client. It was just... Uh, and they weren't well-mannered either, mm. which is, um, I think, a critical thing here that coaching, business coaching, is not a master-servant relationship. You're equal. Yeah. Well, in this... That wasn't the case, and I had to elegantly quit the relationship, which I did. One other thought rang through my mind on this whole coach thing. Um, and I, I don't know what you think, but I think we might have covered everything off nearly. That's my belief with coaching. Hey, Mark, one thing that's really exciting about this particular podcast and on this topic is that we've got a couple of grabs uh, coming up from, from people that we've worked with for quite some time. Um, in, in relation to some of these questions that we're pondering on this on this podcast. Uh, so that's actually really exciting for us. So um, stay tuned for that one. It's coming up a little bit later in the podcast and then, and then we'll talk around some of the topics that come up in those discussions that we've had and, uh, and let's see, let's see what, what our clients and uh, uh, say for themselves around this topic of coaching. Wonderful. 